your Locked On Canadiens, your daily podcast on the Montreal Canadiens, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, everyone, and thank you for making Locked On Canadians your first listen every day. We are free and available on all your podcasting platforms. I am one of your hosts. I am Scott Matland. As always, I am joined by the active stick, Laura Saba, and we have a very fun, very prospect-heavy episode today. It's, we'll call it our take on our prospect roundup that we're doing weekly now. Laura, before we introduce our guest, how are you doing today? I'm actually really excited for this episode because I think uh, you and I, along with many, many people, thought that the sending Cole Caulfield down was a stupid idea. And it's actually not that stupid of an idea, <laughs> apparently. Uh, and so our guest wrote a really, really good piece, which we will plug both on Twitter and at the end of this episode. And I'm so excited to discuss it with him because it really changed the way that I was looking at what happened. Yes. And as Laura mentioned, as I mentioned, we have a very special guest today. Joining the show once again is Chris Peters, uh, prospect NCA analyst for the Daily Faceoff and Hockey Sense on Substack. Chris, thank you so much for making time to join us today. How are you? Laura, Scott, I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Um, I hope that I can provide some uh, anti-anxiety words uh, on the Cole Caulfield situation, but I, I understand the on-edgeness of Habs fans at the moment, but it's great to be with you guys. Uh, as Laura mentioned off the top of the show, Chris wrote a really nice look at Caulfield's season so far through 10 games, some of his micro stats, his, you know, his offensive things, what's he doing well, what's he not doing well, and Chris, uh, since you wrote the article and you're the one who did the the deep dive on this, I'll throw it to you, but the panic is not fully justified. It's a small bump in the road for a guy who's seemingly figured it out every time he comes up against some tough sledding in his career, no? Yeah, you know, I, I think that's basically right. I mean, the idea that um, Caulfield was going to be able to be the go-to guy right away um, was, you know, always kind of a long shot just because he's still a rookie. And I think, you know, you got to consider the circumstances of him coming in last year. He basically played a full season of college hockey. He's in a rhythm. He's obviously scoring a goal per game practically at that level. And then he comes in and, you know, immediately goes to the AHL and he just continues doing the same thing. He goes to the NHL and he goes, go, does the same thing and he does it in the playoffs. And, you know, I, I think that I was even surprised at how smooth the transition went for him. And obviously this year it's a completely different story. But it's also a completely different story for the Habs. Uh, you know, the, the roster is different. Things things have changed. But the thing that, you know, obviously I've followed Cole Caulfield for a long time. I've covered his career since he was, a, you know, 16 years old, essentially. Um, and, and, I mean, I remember hearing about him as, like, this high school phenom in Wisconsin. Um, so, you know, I've, I've followed his, his career closely, and I've seen enough of his games to know what works for him and what doesn't. And so I was like, well, all right, well. I might as well watch all the games. So I, I, I was able to get, you know, footage for seven of the 10 games that he played in. Um, and, you know, that gave me a good idea of kind of where things are at in terms of, of his, 
his output and or lack of output and, and why it is the way that it is. And obviously it's a part, part of it is tied to um, part of it is tied to um, part of it is tied. Sorry, I got just got a call and I'll have to get back to it. But part of it is tied to um, this, you know, the, the, the struggles of the team. And, and with that, there is a bit of a, um, you know, you can't, you can't expect the rookie to kind of do it all on his own. So what, what I would say is that, you know, for, for him right now, the way that he's playing is mostly good. Like, you know, he's, he's getting good puck touches. He's getting good ice time. He's getting time on the power play things aren't clicking. His underlying numbers are very similar to what they were in the playoffs in terms of, you know, Corsi and rock relative Corsi and, and all of these different, you know, analytics that we look at generally his it's the same. Um, and beyond that, there is, you know, the, the, the results aren't coming, you know, the results aren't coming in terms of, you know, shooting and, you know, shooting percentage, obviously at zero, um, he only has the one assist. Um, you know, the power play a, as a whole for the Habs has been, you know, not good. Um, so he's not getting the puck as often. Um, but you know, the 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 question that everyone has always asked about Cole Caulfield is if he's not scoring, what is he doing? And right now, you know, at, at the NHL level, the answer is pretty much nothing. Um, and you know, uh, beyond moving plays, I mean, most of the time he's on the ice, it's been pretty low event, regardless. Um, you know, really only you look at it, it's only four to one goals against at five on five or, and, and so, um, you know, I think he's been on the ice for eight total goals at any strength. So it's not, not a lot has happened when he's been out there, but generally, you know, I think that the things that are going wrong for him and this, sorry, this is such a long meandering, um, uh, kind of diatribe here, but the, the, I think the thing that that has not gone right for him so far is he hasn't been able to get open very often. He hasn't been a viable option in high danger areas, and that comes down to timing, getting used to NHL spacing, getting used to the pressure that he's under, um, and those things will eventually fix themselves over time. Um, but you know, and I think that the best thing for him right now is to go and get confidence because obviously the confidence wanes when you're not scoring. You know, he still has 22 shots on goal. There are a lot of positives that you can draw from it, but now he can go to the AHL and try and maximize all those things at a level where he's a little away from the spotlight. He's going to play a lot of minutes. He's going to play with their best players. He's going to have an opportunity, you know, to get that scoring touch back and then hit the ground running once he's ready to come back to the NHL. And I think that's a good thing too, is that you, you pointed out is that he's just not getting the spacing down and it's uh, right. We saw that he, in the playoffs, he managed to put himself in the right spot at the right time, but this is new teams. You know, he's not playing the same team every night where he can learn after one or two games that it's like, okay, here it is. Here it is. It's like you said, when he gets his confidence back, I think we're going to see a new Caulfield. We saw it in the preseason. He was firing pucks and we saw it last year in the playoffs when he's playing with confidence, he's supremely dangerous and maybe it's just a matter of getting, you know, just one in there. It's like we saw Josh Anderson scores first of the season and he's looked great. Nick Suzuki got his first the other night and he had a really strong game to build on. Caulfield was looking for that first one and maybe his building block starts in the AHL as opposed to trying to work it out at the NHL right now. Why, you know, struggle through it when you can maybe we'll, you know, just give you take you out of the spotlight for a little bit and see what you can do now. And I think 
like you said, it's not the end of the world. Player development is sometimes having to make hard decisions like this. It's not always going to be on the up. There are always setbacks with every prospect, really. Exactly. And and honestly, in this particular instance, Montreal has done everything they possibly could have done, I think, to get him going at the NHL level. And so, you know, they put him with Suzuki and Toffoli at the beginning of the season. And, and he had some some level of success there, but, the, you know, they weren't scoring. So, you know, he's moved around the lineup. He's gotten time on the power play so that, you know, they're put and, and really, I, I think at all strengths, 80 percent of his shifts start in the offensive zone. So, you know, they're giving him the opportunity. They're trying to put him in a position to succeed. Well, that's not working. So if that's not working, you can't keep forcing that. You have to find another option. And the good news is for a player like Caulfield, Unlike being a player that comes from the CHL, you can send them to the AHL for no, you know, with with no no need for waivers, and you give them that opportunity to get right. And not enough teams do that. Not some teams are so I don't know if it's because it's stubbornness or fear of what the fans are going to say or or what, but I think more and more, and and the Habs actually have done you know they did it with Kaniemi as well. So you know they they've done things in the past where they say okay let's pump the brakes. Let's go here. Maybe it's six, seven games. Maybe it's two games. But yeah, you're exactly right. Get that first goal. Get some positive energy going. Get some confidence because that's what scorers thrive on. And and I don't think you want him in the AHL for too long because if it is a timing and spacing issue, the only way he's going to get that timing and spacing down is by playing at the level where he needs to figure out the timing and the spacing. And it's a little different every level you go up. And it's obviously fastest and more difficult at the NHL level than it is even at the AHL level. But it's that's a closer corollary than college or junior or anything like that. So I do think that they're this is the this is the most positive thing that they can do at the moment. We are back and better than ever. A new web interface for the start of basketball season and more props, odds, and lines than ever before. Bet Online remains your number one spot for all the basketball and football action this season. Head to the new, updated desktop or mobile website to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use our promo code LOCKEDON, that's all caps, to receive your bonus. From basketball, football, hockey, boxing, the UFC, right to your favorite Vegas casino games, don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for the 2021 season. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite sports. Bet online where the game starts. And as always, thank you for making Locked On Canadians your first listen of the day every day. We are free and available on all podcasting platforms. I and, This conversation is blowing my mind right now because <laughs> my impression all along has been that the Canadians are not putting him in the right situation. And the, you know, the, this was everything that you're talking about right now. I'm like, when you analyzed it, you looked at the tape, you looked at the data, you didn't see the same things that we were seeing when I was watching, especially when I was frustrated and watching. I actually saw three games in person and I find I analyze games much worse when I'm actually there at the game. I get distracted by what's going on. But everything that you're saying right now, it, it's it's exactly the opposite of what I thought. And this is like so eye-opening because I feel like from my conversations, especially with our podcast and reaction and things, things like that, people are like, by and large, they are sort of in agreement with us. But I also think that one of the things is that if you look at the bigger picture, which is the Canadians need to score goals and Cole Caulfield is the small goals boy and you <laughs> remove him from the lineup, that compounds the problem. So like if you look, if you do the deep dive that you did, and again, I encourage everybody to read the article on dailyfaceoff.com. Um, 
and you see, like you looked at the shifts, you looked at what he was doing, you looked at who he was paired with. And actually it's a much bigger or sorry, a much more nuanced uh, situation than what we think it is. So I'm so glad that, that you, you gave us your time today to explain that to us because like it all makes sense. And then I, I guess the bottom line is that Cole Caulfield is going to be just fine. I, I think so. Like the, the good goal scorers always figure it out, you know, and, and I think that wasn't always the case, but I think more and more now it is. And, and I think, you know, I looked at, Alex Debrinkit, who is the closest comparable in terms of size profile and, and skill set that Cole Caulfield has. And even his first 10 games, he did have more points than Caulfield. He had one goal, though, in, in a season that he ended up scoring 28 goals. So his first 10 games, you know, he's playing 10 minutes. He wasn't always playing with the best players. Um, Caulfield has, you know, in terms of even strength ice time, sixth, sixth highest uh, among Habs forwards. Um, and then you throw in the, the power play time that he's gotten and he's he's gotten reasonable ice time. And um, I just think that this is a this is a team. I, I do think that Caulfield's issues are more team centric than they are Cole Caulfield centric, because I also looked at every single puck touch that he had and about 61 percent of his puck touches were positive plays. That's not bad. You know, it's it could be better. But it's not bad at, for a rookie who's 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 still trying to figure things out. And those positive plays were, you know, completed passes, shots on goal, scoring chances. Um, you know, I, I I had like negligible plays that I didn't really count either one way or the other, like dump ins and clear outs. But you know, those are the types of things. So he was he was actually still has confidence on the puck. He made some nice moves. He's he, you know he's he beat players one on one at times. Um, it's just a matter of he doesn't have the puck enough at this point to do the things that he does that makes the game better. And he's also not strong enough yet to win puck battles and to win foot races, because those are things that he's going to have to do to get the puck more than he has had it. So those are other things that will only come with time. So, but I'm not worried about Cole Caulfield. I've watched him for too long to be worried about him. This is probably the longest stretch he's ever gone without a goal since he was like a baby. So I, I'm not, I don't think that this will continue. The overwhelming evidence suggests that he will be fine. I, I am looking forward to him being fine. I, everyone is now like doing the overanalyzing thing. It's like, oh, he looks upset at picture day and, you know, he's, he's not goofy and smiling. I'm like, well, he's like you said, he has a ton of pressure on him right now. And we saw last year when he joined the rocket before he joined the Canadians, he was, quite frankly, the best player on either team in the games that he played. And I'm excited to see now what he can do. The Rocket have had a a style that seems to more fit him. You talk about team-centric things. They push the offense. They're aggressive and create space all over. There's better passing lanes and everything there. And I know that it's not Nick Suzuki or it's not Jonathan Duan. It's not Christian Dvorak or an NHL caliber player. But at the same time, if he gets all that timing back, like you mentioned in your article, it, it's like riding a bike. It's all going to come flowing back to him. And we've we've actually covered quite a lot of the uh, small goals boy here. And we're going to shift into our final segment here a little bit on some of the other prospects, including the small assist boy playing at Harvard in Sean Farrell. And that's coming up next. So we are back with our special guest, Chris Peters of Daily Faceoff and Hockey Sense on Substack. And Chris, one of my favorite prospects now that Cole Caulfield has graduated into the professional ranks full-time was Sean Farrell. He 
torched the USHL last year. He was named the most valuable player. He, I believe, led the league in scoring with the Chicago Steel, if I'm not mistaken. You're he was correct. supposed to play at Harvard. Uh, COVID shut that down. And then every, we talked a lot over the offseason. I wrote his top 25 under 25 profile. I was very bullish on him. I was a big fan. And a lot of people are like, well, let's see how he does in the NCAA. And through two games, he has three goals and four assists for seven points. And I think he's going to be okay. I know they at Harvard just played Dartmouth, but to immediately jump in and have that kind of production, uh, if you're a Canadians fan, you should be thrilled by that sort of thing. Absolutely. And I think he was a, he was ready to be an impact freshman last season had Harvard played, but they didn't. So, you know, he goes back to junior. He's lucky in that he was able to go somewhere else to play guys that were sophomores and juniors didn't have that opportunity. And if they wanted to stay a Harvard player, they had to, you know, basically just wait it out. Um, like Nick Abrazizi, who, who's another uh, a small offensive dynamo who played for the Chicago steel, just like Sean Farrell. So, uh, the thing about Farrell that I've always loved is that, you know, he's got the skill and everything, but he, really his, his, his work ethic, his motor, his speed, all those things are significantly, um, are significantly better, um, you know, that, that they allow him to play uh, at, at such a high pace and, and be very difficult to play against. Um, you're right. You know, Harvard did play a, a pretty soft opening schedule and the fact that they have so many offensive weapons helps, you know, Farrell is with Matthew Coronado, who who he was play, played with at the Chicago Steel last year. They're both there, um, you know. And and uh, Coronado also had three goals on the weekend. So you know that that helps with the familiarity. That helps with uh, the ability to to make uh, you know to, to work with you know a guy that you're familiar with. But the thing that I think that will make Farrell, you know, Farrell would have been a, a good freshman last year. He should be an outstanding freshman this year because he's really a sophomore, you know, by age. Um, you know, the, the production that he had last season in a shortened season in the USHL, 101 points in 53 games. I mean, not a lot of players hit the 100 point plateau in the USHL in general, but to do it in a, in a season like that, to be a, you know, a, over a point per game in the playoffs for the team that won the title, you know, this is a guy that, that has a lot of different tools that, that will be good. Now he is on the smaller side. He is going to need to get stronger. He's in a good spot to do that. Harvard has had really good success with with younger you know younger players that are are smaller. I think Colin Black Blackwell, who's now with the Kraken, who's been injured this year but had a really good season last year with New York, is probably a good model of a player for for a guy like uh, Sean Farrell. And, and they've had a track record of developing those kinds of players. So you know, I, I think that he has NHL upside. I think he's going to need to stay at Harvard for, you know, two, three years, at least, um, you know, usually when guys go to Harvard, they go for the full four, but since he got a late start, I doubt that'll be the say that that'll be what happens with Farrell, assuming everybody wants to, to get that contract signed. But, you know, I, he's the kind of guy that's easy to root for. He works his butt off. And then he also has this skill and speed that, that makes him really fun to watch. Uh, but I, as I was watching him play, I saw a lot of things that made him successful in the USHL, and he's not the only current Habs prospect playing in the Northeast. You have Jordan Harris and Jaden Struble at uh, Northeastern still, with Harris being the captain this year, playing his fourth year after choosing to not turn pro. And I, I like a lot of what I see there because it's they're both the type of player the Canadians need going forward, I think. Harris is a very steady, smooth skating presence, and Struble is this, 
I don't want to say PK Subban like player because that draws unfair comparisons, but the way he plays the game with uh, a passion and an aggressiveness on the ice offensively and defensively with the physicality in just the amount that he can move for a guy who is built like a stack of bricks, basically, it's hard to not be excited about watching those players in the in the near future in Montreal, I would think. And I don't know if you've gotten a chance to watch much of them to see if there's anything the Canadians should be looking for or or Canadians fans should be looking for here. Yeah, I haven't watched a ton of Northeastern yet this season, but, you know, I've, I've obviously tracked both players before. And, uh, you know, I, I think in, in Struble's case, when he was selected, it was always kind of like this upside bet that, you know, he's this physical specimen. He was the champion of the of the um, uh, of the combine, you know, where he was just killing everything at the combine. And then on top of that, you know, he's got this smooth skating ability, this good puck moving ability, a big shot, you know, he's got all, all that, um, that, that is really solid. Northeastern this year has, has been a little bit up and down a little bit inconsistent. Uh, but you know, then you got Harris who really has been one of the top puck moving defensemen in college hockey the last year. I think both of those guys are good in college. They're going to need time in the AHL. I think they're going to need to, to, to learn the pro game a bit more. Um, I think Struble's game to me has the higher upside in terms of, you know, his overall package and what he can bring to an NHL team. I think his mobility, his size, his strength, his physicality are all such that, you know, that gives him a really, a real good opportunity to kind of play anywhere in your defensive group. Um, Harris, you know, you know, he's going to have to be a guy that you want to see kind of work his way into a power play, be a guy, you know, I, I think he could be a depth defenseman at the NHL level. I, I think that his defensive capabilities are are fine. Like they're not, they're not a detriment, um, but you know, there's nothing that really blows you away there, but yeah, I think both players have this tremendous amount of upside and, and, you know, the Habs have typically made those types of bets on, on those, uh, you know, especially the guys that they like pick out of high school ranks, like Struble was a prep school pick, you know, before going to Northeastern. Um, and then you got guys like Jack Gorniak and, and others where there's like the, the, the physical tools are there. And then you need, you kind of have to hope and see, you know, does the hockey sense come with that? Does there, is there a finishing ability? All those other things. I think particularly in Harrison Struble's case, those things have, have become more and more apparent as they've been in, in school. So, so that's a really good thing uh, to see. And I think both, have a real good opportunity to be in the, you know, quality players in the system, um, you know, with, with a bit of a longer tail to just try and, you know, find their way to the NHL. And I guess before we wrap up here in a second, I just got to ask because the Canadians currently sit at three and eight, which is still not the worst in the NHL, but will be uh, very likely drafting high this year. Who is your early I guess I would say first round sleeper, first round favorite coming out of the NCAA this year for the draft. Ooh, yeah. What's well, it's interesting. I mean, there's another guy at Northeastern by the name of Jack Hughes, not the same one. I, I, I checked multiple times. It is a different Jack Hughes that plays at Northeastern, not the one that plays for the Devils. Um, that would have been an eligibility crisis if, if that went the other way. But, you know, like he's, he's interesting. He certainly has first round capabilities. He played for the national team development program last year. Um, and you know, I think he, he really, um, he, he, he had injury issues and that 
didn't really allow him to play his best at like the world under 18s. I thought it was really poor showing there. He, you know, is not really in the world junior mix at the moment. Um, you know, he wasn't at the camp, but he's a guy that I think that if you continue to watch, I mean, he's having a very good season. He's, he's had some goals already for Northeastern, some big goals where, you know, game winning goals and in late goals, but Jack Hughes is a, definitely a name to know for the sleepers. And then I, you know, I think the way the Habs have, have been going, you, you can dream big. For, for you know Shane Shane Wright and uh and uh and guys like that and and, and some of the some of the others but um but yeah but in, in terms of just strictly the college ranks I think Jack Hughes is probably the player that has the best opportunity of going in the first round among NCAA current NCAA players or players on the the NCAA track well there you have it the Canadians are finally going to get Jack Hughes then uh exactly. not not, not that one but the other one um Chris one thank is better you. than none yes that is that is a very valid point one is definitely better than none and Chris Lauren I want to thank you for joining us today and you mentioned off the top of the show you have a million different places where people can find your work do you want to run down them for our listeners here sure sure yeah thank you very much for the opportunity and thanks for having me on guys it's always it's always fun to be with you um so yeah I've, I've got my own sub stack that's hockeysense.substack.com where that's kind of a, a catch-all for a lot of different things and there's a lot of college hockey content on there and there will be a lot more world junior content i also recently started with dailyfaceoff.com and frank saravalli's group um they're doing uh two two stories a week plus being on their streaming so- show uh, I am also doing betting content for betway.com, um, which is now available throughout most of Canada. And you see their ads on all the NHL rinks. Now um, I do weekly picks for them. And then also, yeah, you can, if you, if you are one of the people that has the ECHL package on flow hockey, which, Hey, way to go. Um, I'm the color commentator for the newest team in the ECHL outside of Troy Riviere. Uh, uh, the, uh, uh, the Iowa heartlanders, and um, that's been a lot of fun too. So, yeah, so I got a lot going on. I've got a lot cooking. If you want to check out any of my work, uh, certainly do that daily face off stuff is free. And so is Betway. So, uh, but it, yeah, you can also subscribe to the Substack and I guess, listen to ECHL games if you so choose. And as always, you can follow the show at LO underscore Canadians on Twitter, Laura at the active stick and myself at Scott Matla. And thanks for making us your first listen of the day every single day. We will be coming back with our recap of the Islanders game and so much more as we finish up this week here, folks. Now, be sure to make your second listen of the day, Locked On Fantasy Hockey, where Scott Cullen leans on his decades of fantasy hockey insight to help you dominate any possible fantasy league you are in. Thank you so much, and we'll see you all next time.